This episode is brought to you by Orange County Restaurant Week. Celebrating 15 years, now is the best time to make memories around the table by celebrating all the great restaurants in Orange County. For a participating list, as well as the menus offered by those restaurants, go to ocrestaurantweek.com for more. This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. What's up, everybody? Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of 112 of the Best Seats Podcast, the only podcast that brings you interviews with some of the most talented people in and around the hospitality industry from right here in Orange County to the rest of Southern California and beyond each and every episode. As always, I'm your host, Crawford McCarthy, founder and principal of the Best Seats. Thank you to my friend, Allie Coyle, who provides music for the show. You can find more of her work at AllieCoyleMusic.com. As a reminder, if you enjoy the show and you're listening to it on free feed, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you're listening to it, please be sure to think about leaving a rating and or a review. It helps push it into the algorithm to let other folks discover it, which helps a lot. You can go to thebestseats.com for more content just like this. You can check out the merch store. The blog will be making its return very soon. But don't forget that the very best experience is only found by subscribing to a monthly amount that makes the most sense to you over at patreon.com forward slash thebestseats. That is where you get exclusive early ad-free listening in perpetuity to each and every single episode, early access to the new show, I Know What You Did Last Sunday, exclusive access to the bonus episode of the Best Seats Podcast, and more. Uh, Patreon's been really, really steady, which is always kind of surprising. Patreon normally kind of dips a little bit following the holidays. Obviously, economically, things are kind of tough right now. So for everybody that does choose to support, whether you're at the $2 a month amount or advertising or whatever it is, thank you very, very much. I know that times are tough. So for you to take your hard-earned money and put it behind this show and the best seats as a whole really means a lot. Moving on to the episode, though, I am very, very happy to welcome back George Barker. Um, owner of Mayfield down in San Juan Capistrano. Now, George was on the podcast way back in the beginning, like way back. Um, I want to say pre episode 20, even something like that. So it's been almost a hundred episodes since I've had him on, which is wild. Um, back when I had him on, he was just about to open Mayfield. He wasn't really a known entity unless you were really a diehard of his food truck. Mayfield itself hadn't made a splash yet. The chefs and people that were there behind the bar at the time, you know, obviously staffs change out over time. Generally, your opening staff is not going to be the one that's with you a couple years down the line. But now Mayfield is almost two and a half years into its life cycle, which is wild. Not only in the fact that it's making me feel old and making me realize that the Best Seats podcast specifically has now been going for a handful of years, which is cool, but also just how quickly time passes. And just how much that everyday grind in between all those years of running a great restaurant like Mayfield can be, how much of a toll it can take, how much fun it can be, how much stress it can be, especially in a place like San Juan, which is experiencing monumental change right now. 
um, from the local real estate market to the economics down there to developments. San Juan is changing. San Juan has changed. What does that mean for a place like Mayfield that came in really ahead of the cusp of that change? They opened about a month before Heritage, um, and those two places together really help kind of ignite that change that places like Trevor's at the Tracks, um, Five Vines, and places like that were already kind of slowly experiencing. But then it really blew up specifically in the summer of 21 when everybody was really, quote unquote, allowed to go back out. And we did so with gusto. But what is it like, not just for George to be a couple of years into owning a really great restaurant, arguably one of the best in Orange County, but to have done it in the middle of a pandemic? Where is he now? How has the food changed? How has the staff changed? How has his approach changed, this being his first restaurant and not opening it in a traditional way when you're opening it in the middle of 2020? So I'm very happy to welcome him back to the show. I hope you enjoyed this one. This is a very, very fun one for episode 112 of the Best Seats podcast, George Barker of Mayfield. Enjoy. George, it has been a minute, but I'm so glad to have you back on the show. I was trying to think back and look up the date on when I first had you on. And when I first had you on the show, where we are sitting now was not open yet. Nope. Um, and before I have you introduce yourself, we are recording this today at Mayfield in San Juan Capistrano. And I'm very, very excited to catch up, see how you have been since we last sat down and just see how to, not just how the restaurant is going, but how life is going now, kind of quote unquote, past COVID-19 and, and everything else. But before we do that, for those that may have been listening, but didn't hear that first show that you were on, uh, would you mind introducing yourself or reintroducing yourself, giving a little bit of your background and where we're sitting today? Thank you for having me back. Um, yeah, I'm George. I'm the owner of Mayfield in San Juan Capistrano. It's a modern Middle Eastern Mediterranean influenced restaurant. Um, and we're open brunch, dinner, uh, cocktails, coffee, natural wine, that kind of thing. So, like I said, when you were first on the show, the restaurant was not open yet. You were in the process. I want to say very close to being in the process when we recorded. But again, now, little is it, is it over two years in? Yeah, we're two and a half now. Two and a half. So, yeah. so creeping up on the three number closer yeah. to it. How have things been? I mean, the, the restaurant, for anybody who hasn't kind of paid attention to it, came out to rave reviews. Nobody I've ever talked to has a bad word to say about it. You fought your way all through 2020, or at least the second half of 2020 early 2021, et cetera. Obviously still standing, still fighting, and people still only have great things to say about it. How do you feel standing now a couple of years later? Yeah, good. We, I think we opened August, 2020, and that was right when takeout dining or uh, patio dining was starting. So we opened for takeout to start and then moved into dinner and then brunch and then closed down again and then reopened. Yeah. So it took about a year and a half before we felt like we were actually running the restaurant like we I, I intended to, um, but because it was my first restaurant, it, it kind of, that was just the first experience. So I was like, okay, well, this is just how opening a restaurant is. And then only now I realized that how weird it was. But um, I think we've, we were super fortunate to get support straight off the bat. Um, and we've kind of had a, a loyal local customer base and then people coming from far and wide, which has just been amazing. So I think we've, we've been very fortunate in, in the way that it's kind of worked out for us. Um, so I, I, no complaints. I mean, you mentioned this is your first restaurant, but for anybody that knows your background, you had a food truck before this, the Hungry Royal. That did very, very well. And you kind of, people can go back and listen to that first show to hear more about your background in hospitality. But looking back on it now, this being your first restaurant, you know, a lot of people when they've been in the industry for a while, 
they have a very kind of rudimentary, rigid way of doing things, right? It must be done this way because that's what worked in the past. Do you think that this being your first place gave you that flexibility to adapt so quickly to certain things and to be like, I don't know if it's supposed to be this way, but we're going to do it this way? Yeah, I think a huge element was naivety of, uh, I lived in London where there's 12 million people. You can open a restaurant and you can be as niche as you like and people will still come. Yeah. And I kind of took that approach to, to Orange County, which, which some would say would be foolish. You know, we, we did a, a kind of cuisine which wasn't really around. We did a wine program which didn't feature Justin or Ron Bauer or any of the kind of big names that you yeah. see on most lists. Um, and we, we did a design which was pretty unique for, for the time as well, which was very light and airy and kind of has this kind of Scandinavian worn-in feel. Um, so I, but a lot of that was just naivety of why, why can't this work and like, who's, who's to say it doesn't work? Um, so that I think I was fortunate that I, I had that mindset um, and I hadn't lived in the country that long to kind of understand the kind of Orange County landscape, yeah. which I feel like is now adjusting and adapting. Um, but I, I think I didn't, I wasn't nervous because of it, because I, I just didn't really know that it was that much of a change from, from the norm and that risky. How much has the restaurant evolved from not just kind of what you thought it would be, but kind of what it was in those early days of shifting around and things like that to where it is now? Has it settled into a place that you're kind of like, yes, this is kind of what I was thinking all along? Yeah, I, th I think the biggest change was when we opened, we had to do the supper club dinner, which was yeah. a prefix price menu. So um, it was $65 a head, or I think then it was 55. And we did a kind of family style feast and you kind of picked and choose, but it was a prefix menu. And that was really born out of, if, if we can only do 70 people a night, we need to make sure we do X per, per person and fill the restaurant across it. Um, so that's now gone away and we still, we kept it because people loved it as, a, as an option for, for people to do and people still do it. But it was never the intended plan to do that. So now it's much more what we intended, which is you can come and grab a, a bite and a drink at the bar. You can get appetizers and you can build your own menu through you know, all the small plates, or you can kind of focus more on the large plates, but it's now what it always intended to be. But I think we opened with a very kind of focused mindset on, we wanted to take Middle Eastern flavors and food specifically from the Levant region and do it in a modern approach, but still pay respect to the flavors. And if we're using a spice mix, we learn about where it comes from, not just call it Middle Eastern, but learn which region, which country, yeah. what goes into it, make it ourselves. Uh, and we've kept that through. Um, and we, we kind of tend to lean on the lighter lighter dishes in terms of flavors and we're full of flavor, but we, we don't want heavy, stodgy food. So whether, even if it's like a fried chicken sandwich, it's packed full of herbs and light, light kind of flavors that make it feel lifted rather than it be like a stodgy kind of version. But I feel like we've, we've been pretty fortunate to have the support that we haven't had to feel like do we need to change things? Do we need to adapt more? We've been able to be relatively stubborn with this is what we're looking to do. And for some, that's just not what they want. You know, we, we have people come for brunch. They look at the menu outside and there's there's things like shakshuka or Turkish eggs or dishes where kind of it's not for them. Cool, there's, there's other options, but we, we find there's enough people that it is for them and they yeah. come in. And that's that's been nice that we've kind of just found our, our clientele. And then also just finding people that aren't used to those flavors, but are willing to try things and then kind of look to convert them into it in the future. 
Well, one of the conversations I had, um, and I had this conversation with Danny Castillo at Heritage Barbecue before they opened, because um, I want to say that was around similar time as you guys. Everybody was August, it seems like. Um, and it was, I was asking him, how do you think the surrounding area will adapt to not just your style of barbecue, which is traditional and yet unconventional at the same way, but again, being made to wait in a line, right? That Texas barbecue experience. You came down with Mayfield at the time and probably still at the time because there's not too many people I can think of that have kind of gone design-wise like this since, like you mentioned, it is a newer kind of design concept. It is a flavor profile and flavors that people not, you know, they may not be familiar with. How has that gone with some of those palettes kind of in South County that could be a little more reserved or not as open to change? Are you seeing people that maybe they saw that breakfast menu once and it wasn't for them, so they went somewhere else. Have they come back and been like, you know what, we're going to try this. We want to experience these flavors. Yeah, I think I think some of the press we got helped bring people that wouldn't necessarily just gravitate towards the restaurant and they would be more uh, comfortable in more kind of classic Californian style restaurants. And they came and tried it. And hopefully what, what we try and say is like, just trust us, get a bottle of wine that you might not have heard of or try a producer that you don't know or a region or whether it's food and you're trying something, trust us, if you don't like it, we'll find something you do like, but we're pretty sure you will like it because ultimately it, it tastes good and, it, and it, it's, it's good wine, it's good food, it's good cocktails. So hopefully when they actually get it, and, and I'd say 99% of the time that, that's true, 1% of the time, maybe not, um, but that's okay. Like we, we win some, we lose some, but hopefully the people that do try it and we, we get them to, to try things new and exciting and go from there. Um, I've had guests on the show before to talk about the cocktail program here, which really came out the gates swinging just about as hard as the food did, which was wonderful to see. But I do want to circle back to the wines, because like you mentioned, this is, is it entirely natural, like kind of small biodynamic, all yeah. of that kind of style? I, I, I actually don't really like the word natural, but it's hard to explain it in one word yeah, outside of that. Because yeah, the, what we look for is organic or biodynamically produced wine with without any additives or chemicals added to that wine. And there's some wines that are like extremely natty and funky and avant-garde, but 90% of our wine is just really good, well-made wine. And when I try and explain it to, to customers that don't quite understand it, I'll just explain to them, like if you're shopping at a farmer's market versus a supermarket, you're meeting that farmer. He's probably picked that fruit that day because it was ripe and ready. And that's the same with natural wine. People are handpicking grapes, they're going and sourcing what's good at that time, and then they're being very focused on that wine. And that's just the wine we look for. Um, we, we have a wine club which kind of supports the wine, wine list for us where we bring in interesting grapes. So this month we've got one from Corsica, we've got a, a, a wine from California, we've got one from Italy, and we've got one from um, Slovenia. Um, so we try and find wines from all nice. over the place yeah, and it's, it's a spread. Yeah. And, and grapes that people aren't used to. Um, because for me, that's what dining out is about trying new things and eating things that I can't make at home or wines yeah. that I can't find in the supermarket. So that's what gets me excited about it. How has the reception to the program been since kind of getting the doors open? Because I mean, obviously, you know, for anybody who hasn't been here, you guys do have a market section on basically kind of a whole wall of the restaurant. So that's automatically huge when everybody was switching restaurants to be kind of walk-in markets anyway to be able to have that option, at least during kind of the shutdown phase of stuff. But since, I mean, anybody who's been to San Juan, there's a lot of wine here and a lot of great wine. I mean, you share a wall with Five Vines, who are a fantastic family-run place. Rancho Capistrano Winery is right next door. Every single restaurant around here has wine. And you're presenting something that truly 
is unique just to this space. There's others in Orange County that have it, but not to this degree, mm-hmm. where you are sourcing from so many different, really, really cool grapes and countries and things like that. Has the program kind of changed at all? Was there any kind of any pushback, or has it really kind of grown and taken off and got legs of its, its own? Yeah, it's we we haven't really had any pushback. You know, occasionally I think with anyone, um, there might be a wine that's not to someone's taste or or whatever, but that's that happens maybe once every couple of months. Generally, you know, it's we look for good wine, so we back that it's good, and whether it's natural or whatever, it's we just look for good wine. Um, our wine list has grown massively. We've gone from, I think we opened with 40 bottles. We're now at like 120. Wow. Um, yeah. and, it's, and it's just constantly revolving. You know, most of the wine that we source, it's so small production. We can get three cases and then it's gone. Like we, there's not wine that's sticking around for, for months on end. And yeah. we, we get what we get. Like I just ordered one. There was three cases and three bottles left. And that's like, they're <laughs> like, do you want to join the extra three? So like, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll, take, I'll it. take it, please. Um, so we, it's, We've been really fortunate with that. And then because we are kind of unique in the style of wine we do, um, we we have people traveling to come either buy from the market or because they've come for dinner because of that. And then the food has actually been secondary to it. And they're like, oh, it's great food. We heard about your wine program. And then the wine club also is just every month people are coming, trying their wines, picking them up, often staying for dinner. That's great. Um, so that's that's been a really fun thing. And also just training the staff on them always is kind of fun and exciting every month, bringing in different wine. One of our greatest advantages kind of here in in Southern California, not just Orange County, but SoCal for sure, is our weather and the ability to really have wonderful days that you can enjoy having a glass of wine or a drink with the windows open, pretty much, relatively speaking, all year round. I know we had a wet January, but relatively speaking, all year round. San Juan is, it's got great nightlife, it's got a great energy to it, but during the weekend, it cranks. I mean, were you ever expecting brunch to be as big as it is? Because I've come down here for a lot of brunches in my time. San Juan knows how to enjoy a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Did you ever expect the restaurant to, or I guess the area, to just kind of get as big and, and kind of raucous as it does on a beautiful Sunday? Yeah, I think um, I did a lot of research before I signed the lease. And when when I signed the lease, the town was... Still pretty sleepy. There was uh, three restaurants on the street, um, and then I looked into all the plans for the town of uh, the the hotel being built, heritage coming in, the River Street project, um, the the like beautification of our street where they've kind of widened the the paths and, mm-hmm. and done all the kind of lights and trees and stuff. So that's why I signed the lease. So I liked what it was back then, but I could see hopefully where it was going. It's probably gone quicker than I thought, um, and it's kind of just. It's funny when in Orange County it only takes a few things for people to start like really focusing in on one area. Yeah. And I, I felt like us, Heritage, uh, Ramen Shack at the time, yeah. FKN, all opening within maybe like four or five months of each other and during a, and during a pandemic was just like a, a real focal point so that we just got so much attention and we, we saw so many people coming from LA or Long Beach or Newport or Costa Mesa. So I thought, I, I felt like that's kind of established the town and then also there's it's just a nice place to be like yeah. you're down here on a sunday and it's you're not driving to a strip mall you're parking up your car you're forgetting about your car you're going to go get a coffee at hidden house you're walking around you're going to the petting zoo you're going to the mission it's just like it's where i'd want to be on a sunday so I, I can see why why a lot of other people do too yeah rest in peace to ramen shack i know that one is no longer with us sadly um 
I do want to ask about the parking though, because whenever I tell people, you know, the number one question I get, hey, where should I go? What should I look into? You know, hey, if you've been to San Juan for a Sunday, you should definitely do it, bounce around. You will not have a bad time. The number one pushback is parking. Mm-hmm. And there are more restaurants coming in. Shout out to the team at Bloom that just opened up right next to FKN. I love the team at FKN. They're friends of the show and have been on the show before. More restaurants doesn't always come with more parking spots though, but it does come with more customers. Yep. What are your kind of, how do you feel about that as a restaurateur? I mean, you're right next to the parking garage, which is good. There is some space, there's some more spaces, and it seems like the town is trying to kind of work with what they have, but there is only so much square footage. Yeah. Is I, that a concern at all? Uh, it's not a concern because I've looked into what they're doing and, and planning, so they're, they're, they're putting in more parking. Yeah. Um, and for our, our customers, they're generally here. They're not coming for a, a quick like pickup or like we're not doing takeout really. It's more they're coming for an experience and a, and a, a like a day or a night. So they'll they'll look around for a bit of parking and, and generally if you're prepared to pay for parking, it's not difficult. Like yeah. there is parking structures where you, you can get a spot. Um, it's the free parking which got tightened. So for staff it gets tighter. And like for me, I'm people joke that I'm here all the time. It's partly because I don't want to get here at eleven, twelve, <laughs> and have to find parking. I, I want to get here early. And like I paid for it, so I'm going to use it. Yeah. yeah so I'm <laughs> I'm I'm here all day just because I, I want to get in before I have to worry about parking. But there's, it's, it'll get better, I think. Yeah. Um, I don't mean to make you the unofficial spokesperson for the you know city development team, oh, yeah. but <laughs> it, is, it is a curiosity. As yeah, more yeah. places open, it is curious. Yeah, it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely, like it, it's not like going to an empty strip mall and you just park up straight away. It's definitely more of like, you're, you're gonna have to go and, and do a little bit of moving around. Um, but there's there's a few lots now which have kind of expanded and opened to to kind of relieve it a little bit. Um, maybe avoid twelve o'clock on a on a Sunday if if you want to get an early. Yeah, one. we th- open at ten. By the way, you everyone. should be taking a lift anyway. Yeah. So there we go. <laughs> um, work life balance. Well, if you weren't working during 2020, it was something people got to relearn what mm-hmm. it was. But for a lot of people, especially someone in your position, that probably wasn't in that probably wasn't a thing opening a restaurant dealing with everything else not just not just everything that goes into a restaurant but everything that 2020 and 2021 for that matter through a restaurant mm-hmm. how has your work-life balance changed since kind of the pandemic has been put in the rearview mirror and and kind of as the restaurant has started to really kind of settle in and, and find its footing yeah I, th- I think well for me i was during during 2020 we started construction the week before the pandemic and before yeah, the lockdown I so me- i remember that so it it just added a few more complications to that but it, i like i was head in just fully focused on building our restaurant and and the design and recruitment and menu and all that kind of stuff um i think during the pandemic i was i did nothing because i didn't want to be the guy that had to shut down my restaurant because yeah. i went out and partied and got COVID and had to tell all my stuff they couldn't work so I've now got a social life and, and a bit of work balance. Um, I still am very much focused on running the restaurant. I'm, I'm the, the general manager as well as the owner. Um, and I, 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 that's deliberate. I, I love doing it, so I, I want to be here. Um, but it's, I've got, now got a great team that I can trust, so I've, I can go away for a week or two if I want to and know that I come back and it's better than when I left it. It's, I'm not worried that it's kind of fallen or there's issues or, or anything. Um, so I, I'm now here because I want to be rather than because I need to be. I think that was the biggest change. Whereas before I felt like I had to be here. Now I feel like I want to be here. And if I don't want to be here, I've got a team that will run the restaurant as well as I can, or if not better. 
Well, it's time for a little commercial. Yeah. If you listen to the best seats at all or read the content, then you know the motto, live well and often. But what does it mean? In layman's terms, it's trying to give you the best products, places, experiences, and more so you can put a big smile on your face every single day. Amass Botanics is what I use on my back bar constantly if I need a cocktail or a quick pick-me-up. Any of their other botanical products, like candles, hand sanitizer, and more, also helps to set the mood. Now, I'm a big fan of everything that Amass does. I have been since day one when they launched their trademark gin, and everything they've done since then has been nothing short of excellent. Now you can get your hands on their products at a discounted rate by going to amass.com and using the discount code, thebestseats15, that's C-E-A-T-S, at checkout. Now it's limited one per customer, so make sure you load up. But trust me, you can't go wrong with anything they're doing. I stand by Amass 100%. They're one of my go-to brands for spirits needs or anything around the house. So again, go to amass.com, that's A-M-A-S-S, and use the code thebestseats15 at checkout. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. I don't know about you, but 2020 had me re-looking at how I live and the space that I live in. Spending so much time at home really had me reevaluating how certain things worked and didn't in my living space. One of the main things, as an avid home cook and an obvious supporter of restaurants, was gardening. Anybody who enjoys food at all will be able to tell you that something you've grown yourself will taste infinitely better than anything you can buy at a store. That's where Ashley Irene of Heirloom Potage comes in. Heirloom Potage designs, installs, and maintains seasonal culinary gardens for chefs and foodies in Orange County. They provide organic gardening methods and bespoke build-outs used to preserve the heirloom varietals that they'll provide for seeds. An approachable and exciting endeavor, no matter if you're a seasoned restaurateur or a stay-at-home chef, owner Ashley Irene's experience, expertise, and enthusiasm is only matched by her professionalism. For more information on how you can set up a consultation to get your own culinary garden space set up, go to heirloompotage.com. That's heirloom, H-E-I-R-L-O-O-M, potage, P-O-T-A-G-E-R.com today. Once again, that's heirloom potage. Not better. The design of the restaurant is something that I want to touch on having you back on the show, because like I said, the first time um, it was over the phone, it was very early on in the Best Seats podcast history before the restaurant was even open. And we were talking about the design a little bit, but obviously it's totally different when you see it. Um, The last podcast that I did here was recently after it had been opened and being able to see the space and just how pretty it is. But I, I want to ask you directly now that I have you here. I mean, for anybody who hasn't been here, this is, not to blow smoke, this is by far one of the best looking restaurants in all of Orange County, hands down. Did it come out better than you thought? Or, I mean, are there ever times where you look around and you're like, shit, this looks really good. (laughs) It it came out really good. (laughs) Sometimes I walk in and I forget I actually own the restaurant and I'm like, fuck, it's quite a nice restaurant. Yeah, it's not, it's a nice place to be. And I mean, it's not like, and, and a lot of, credit where it's due because it's not like you picked up these lampshades at like Pier 1 or anything. I mean, a lot of this was sourced from faraway places. Yeah, yeah, these lampshades were from France, from some guys. They, they actually, this was the only thing that arrived on time during COVID um, <laughs> because they made it in their, their like a living room. There's just a, a wife and husband and they just shipped them in the, the like linen lampshades. Um, but yeah, I, 
I think I, I, moving from London where it's rainy and gray and everyone kind of jokes how bad the weather is, I moved to California and I found that all restaurants were very dark and dingy and not, nowhere had like yeah. natural light coming in. And what, I do you, what do you want it to look like? The opposite of the Cotswolds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I wanted natural light and we have these huge 12 foot windows at the front of the restaurant that go up and a 20 foot sliding door at the back of the restaurant. Um, so I wanted lots of natural light, kind of light woods, natural materials. Um, and I wanted it to have this kind of lived in feel because it is a modern restaurant, but we're in an old town. And I didn't want it to look like one of those places that's just been dropped into a town. Yeah. So the, the like the walls have texture. They're kind of like a Venetian plaster. The tiles are all kind of um, they're like a Z-Lake Moroccan tile. So they're all kind of chipped and, and different and, and unique. Um, so I wanted this space, space that kind of felt fresh and new, but also felt a little bit lived in and a little bit. It felt like it fitted someone, but it was a kind of fresh take on it. That's completely fair. Um, the design process itself, was this all just from your mind? I mean, did you have just have like the world's biggest Pinterest page going? I mean, how did it's you- pretty big, yeah. How did you curate all of this? Um, I, I spent a lot of time. And I apologize, I know this is an audio podcast, but frankly, y'all should come down here anyway and just see it if you haven't yet. So yeah, yeah. I mean, sourcing all this stuff during yeah. the pandemic and stuff like that, I mean, was there ever a thought like, ooh, this may not come together because we had to get something from overseas or? Um, no, I, don't, it, I've, I was, I don't know why, but I, I didn't have too many worries about like, um, yeah, I, I just, I was quietly confident. I, I don't know why I was because normally I'd be pretty pessimistic on it. Um, but I, I just, I spent so much time sourcing things, whether it was like water bottles for the table or plates and, I would, I would have this lady that was helping me find plates um, and I would send her videos of me like scratching plates saying like, <laughs> imagine a hundred people scratching I, this plate at the same a time. point. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think I was just, I, I had one sole focus. I sold the food truck because I, was, I thought I was going into a space in Laguna Beach that fell through. So I, and I'm on, on a visa. I can't work for anyone. So I was kind of stuck like, all right, I've got to just focus on this restaurant until it, until it opens. So I, I just had a lot of time where I could just really, kind of focus on details, focus on everything I, I wanted. And really it's um, the restaurant I would want to come to. That's, and I've just based everything on, is this, is this what I would want to see if I was dining? And is this the experience I would want to have? And we make changes based on my, my opinion, but also myself, whether it's you know, a runner suggests something or a, a server or a cook or whatever. It's, uh, we, we just look for, if we were dining, would we want this or would we want that? And we'll, we'll go from there. Is it nice that in trying to accomplish a feel and an atmosphere, which I think you did to, to an alarmingly successful degree, that you also, whether intentionally or not, created one of the most photography friendly and Instagram like friendly spots around? Uh, you know, <laughs> I've never I, seen a bad photo taken here. I, uh, a lot of great selfies. I deliberately <laughs> tried to make the restaurant not Instagrammable, so I, I didn't want like a neon so sign. That backfired a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I like. I, I just I didn't want. I I tried to make the restaurant like timeless, so we put like brown leather uh, banquets in. We we focus on things which hopefully don't go out of style, and then there's things that we can change, like the, the chairs and tables and stuff like that, which are easy to change. But I, I realized I had a very limited budget that I can't redo this restaurant in three years time. So yeah. there's no like pink velvet and neon signs or anything like that. I tried to try and keep it relatively timeless. Um, and I, I think just the, the natural light, the, the high ceilings, the, the way the restaurant is kind of laid out, just it, 
hopefully it's just an aesthetically pleasing restaurant and, and people like to take photos, which I'm, I'm fine with. I'm happy with it. <laughs> That's good. It's a good place to do it. Yeah. Uh, when restaurants open and they have initial success with media, uh, and, and rightfully so, there's always kind of a little bit of a lull after that, right? You come out with a bang, media shows up, people want to check it out, especially if it's very successful or it's really good. You get a little bit more of a pop, but it always kind of tapers off a little bit. And mm-hmm. food media in general, one of the things that I'm working on personally, one of the things that I see is very few times do people then go back to a space, right? Mm-hmm. If you kind of make one of those top 50 lists, then you'll probably, there's a likelihood you're still going to be in that. But people don't often kind of go back and revisit spaces. To the people that were here kind of right away with that first success, you know, why should people come back and visit the space and, and what's something they might discover that's new about it? I think, well, I think we're better across the board on everything. Um, I look back on when we opened and I had no fucking clue what I was doing. I was, I was literally <laughs> shooting from the hip. But also, like, we had to throw a restaurant together in two weeks. We, we opened with takeout and then we realized that no one wanted to do takeout anymore and everyone was trying to dine in. So we hired 25 people in a week. We threw a restaurant together and then we just opened and just tried to figure things out. So we've had two and a half years of figuring things out and the menu's better, the food's better, the drinks are better. Our staff are way better. Um, not like some of those guys are still here, but we've just improved. Yeah. Like we've got yeah, better systems. systems in place. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think back on those times and it was just like, it was crazy what we were doing. And some of the stuff that like some of the staff were doing where we just, didn't have things in place for them. And so um, we're just we're just better. Um, our identity is still the same. We still focus on the same flavors, trying to deliver it the same way with kind of a sharing place concept. Everything goes in the middle. You enjoy it all together. Um, but hopefully we're just better at it. Um, so I agree, like you, you get a pop and we, we got super lucky that we got featured in a bunch of great press. And then that dies out a bit because there's obviously gonna be new places and new yeah. stories to tell. And it's not as interesting to say, oh, this restaurant's still here and they still do the same thing that we wrote about two years ago. Um, but hopefully what happens is you build up a client base and they're the ones that end up referring you. So magazines might not be referring people, but other people are referring other people. Um, and that's hopefully what we try and build on. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about staffing because it's something that everybody deals with. You know, mm-hmm. you were able to get a lot of people back on board really, really quickly. I think it was, you know, so many people were out of jobs at that point that it's like, oh, perfect. I can go work somewhere and, you know, crush it. How's it been now? Because I know a lot of restaurateurs and people like that are struggling trying to find staff, whether it's kitchen, whether it's bar, you know, some people have gotten out of the industry. Some people have moved mm-hmm. to different cities. What's your experience been like on the staffing front? Um, for the last year, we really haven't really hired many people apart from growing the restaurant. Um, we've lost very few people, which has been really, really lucky, especially like kitchen staff has stayed really really stable that's great um and I, th- I think we've been fortunate we've just been lucky with our staff we also get a lot of people wanting to work here which is nice i think because we're quite different so you look at our front of house most people have kind of relocated or or come back home from living in portland or seattle or la or wherever and they've moved back to orange county and because it's a nice place to live but they've been kind of searching for a, a place that is more identifiable with what they like as a person um so we get a lot of people just through that of people wanting to you know email and just say they want to work here which is always amazing to have people who are working that also love to be here yeah um but yeah i'd say kitchen is obviously always the the toughest bit because it's a really fucking hard job yeah it is anyone who has a comment about kitchen staff or anything like 
it is so hard. They, they do such a hard job and I've done it on a food truck and there's a reason why I'm not doing it now because yeah. it's, it's, it breaks you. But you just see that they're, they're like, they're super passionate. They're super hardworking. We have such a good core base of people that are just very, um, they're just good people. And then they're not aggressive. They're not uh, like, they're not uh, like, they're not the typical old school chef. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we've actually had quite a few people that have gone from front of house into the kitchen because they, they've been kind of, they've had an, an interest in it and then they, we've kind of let them go one or two days and see how they like it and then they've built on it and, and moved over. So that's, that's also been a nice way of kind of introducing people on an entry level. And then uh, we just have one left. She's gone back to culinary school because now she wants to, she was started as a runner. Mm-hmm. She did a few days a week in the kitchen and now she's off working and she's going to go do her culinary school training. Good for her. Um, That's awesome. So yeah, we, we've been fortunate, but it, but it is, it's tough. I mean, every time I've been here, it seems like your staff is very happy, which is a good thing to be in a job that depending on the clientele and who's in the restaurant that day, can make your life very unhappy. But I want to ask about, it doesn't, there doesn't seem to be a staff uniform of any kind, but I look around at your staff and I've never felt like I've owned less cool clothes. You have like the coolest dressed people. What, how and where does everyone in Mayfield get their damn clothes? <laughs> so everybody has the coolest shit. Uh, <laughs> some, of the, some of the kids are talking about their, their thrifting and all this stuff. Um, but yeah, we, we do have cool stuff. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, they look cool. And, and I, I'm not one for uniforms as much. I, I like to have a a kind of a general uniform and, and kind of vision that they have to keep within. So there's, there's kind of things that they can't wear and, and limits to it. Yeah. One of the main ones is they can't wear all black. We don't want our, our servers and staff looking like servers and staff in every other restaurant. So there are, the only rule really is you can't wear all black to work. You have to have <laughs> some kind of color. Um, I just got a text from one of my staff saying that she, for Valentine's there, they've all decided they want to wear pink. And she's like, I don't have any pink. And then she's like, actually, forget that. I've got a wig. She's, <laughs> she's wearing a pink wig instead. So, um, yeah, we, we've got some quirky staff members, but they're, they're great. That's awesome. Um, we kind of talked really early on about how you were really, you know, not just the restaurant finding itself, but you were kind of finding yourself as an owner and a GM. What are some of the things that... I guess I'll rephrase this a little bit. What are some of the assumptions that you had about yourself professionally that have changed since the restaurant was open? Like I was going to be this type of manager or I wasn't going to do this. And how have you evolved? Um, I think so. I, I went from working in a corporate finance job in, in London um, for a, a company with 46,000 employees to a food truck of me and two helpers. And I was doing everything from the accounting, the booking and all, all that kind of stuff, which goes into it. And then opened a restaurant and we now have 50 staff members. And I think I went from doing everything and not really like, I would just do things and not kind of tell people why I was doing them or, you know, I'd restock the fridge or do this and that. And then I'd be wondering why has no one redone that? Yeah. Whereas now I've, I've had to learn to kind of try and take a step back and, and let, and tell people to do things rather than just do it. I, I was always in the mentality of like, oh, I'll just do it or I'll, I'm one of, one of the team members. But I've, I've kind of learned now that I need to do other things on top of running the restaurant. I need to focus on, you know, creating the events or planning menus or whatever it is, rather than 
just constantly running drinks and doing doing that side and I, I still do all that but I've found a bit more of a balance and um, I'm just trying to learn to like get other people involved and not just do it myself yeah. um, which has been tough because like my my inclination is just to to jump in and and be a server or be a runner or you know do whatever I need to do um, and sometimes it's you've got to look out like okay I need to hire someone to do that so that I De- can then delegation. do delegation yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I want to wind down this main episode. I'm going to keep you around for a bonus episode, but I want to ask for anybody who hasn't been into the restaurant, you know, we're recording this Tuesday afternoon, kind of pre-service. What are the current hours and structure like? Because again, that's the hardest part about everything that you went through opening this restaurant was Mm -hmm. you didn't know. Sometimes that shit would change on a dime. You're like, Hey, we're open. No, never mind. Sorry, we're not. But what's the current setup? What what kind Uh, of, when when are you open? What's kind of offered, et cetera? So we do uh, dinner Tuesday to Sunday from 5 p.m. And then brunch is Wednesday. So we're closed Tuesday, Tuesday morning. Brunch is Wednesday through to Saturday, 10 to 2.30. And then we have a little happy hour in between whilst they, they flip the kitchen. Um, but yeah, we're kind of Tuesday onwards. Sunday brunch or did I just hear Saturday? Uh, no, all three. Oh, okay, three, got it, yeah. got it. Yeah, That's sat- awesome. Yeah, um, Wednesday all the way through to Sunday. Well, that's awesome. Well, for anybody who hasn't been down, there's not really an excuse anymore. Well, George, I want to thank you for the time of this main episode. Like I said, I'm going to keep you around. We're going to record a bonus episode because I got some more questions. But in the meantime, if people do want to learn more about the restaurant, set up a reservation or just kind of check out the menu, things like that, where can people do that? Of course. Thank you for having me. Um, Yeah, you can go to, if you want to look at our Instagram, it's MayfieldOC. uh, And then our website is MayfieldOC.com. And then don't take reservations during the daytime. Evening, you can get a reservation through our website or open table. That's grand, man. Well, congratulations on all the success. Mayfield is a place that I really love. I've loved it since it opened. I'm glad that things are doing so, so well. And super, super happy that we can sit down again and catch up about it all. Thank you. Cheers for your support. Thank you, thank you, thank you to George for taking the time to come back onto the show. Thank you to the opening staff at Mayfield. They were um, beginning prep for the day. So, you know, me kind of invading their space and their downtime when they're listening to music and they get to be loud. I appreciate them kind of keeping it down and letting us record. Um, Thank you to all of you who listen on free feeds, especially thank you to everybody that does support on Patreon. I know there's been some ups and downs. It's dipped. It's held pretty steady the past couple months. Obviously, that little dip after the holidays. But to everybody that still supports, thank you. Thank you to Ali Coyle, who provides music. Thank you to the advertising partners who continue to put your faith behind this show, this product, and who I am as a person. Thank you to all of you for supporting restaurants in general, because without your support, places like Mayfield may not have survived. And that's pretty cool to not just survive, but to endure and keep going and keep growing and just keep having a great time hosting great food, great people, great wine, etc. So thank you. Let's keep going. And I'll see you next episode. Take care. The Best Seats podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Crawford McCarthy, founder and principal of The Best Seats. It's based in Orange County, California. It is subsidized through generous monthly donations at patreon.com forward slash the best seats. The following are the names of those who subscribed at the highest monthly tier, aka norm status, and allow me to continue producing this show each and every month. As a thank you for their continued support, here are the names. 
Normally this is a pre-recorded segment, but that file has been corrupted, sadly. So you are getting a fresh read of the names. Here we go. Serena Warino, George Pavlov, Eric Lutz, Paige Reardon, Loco Lipo, Tim Falk, Burrito No Rito, Sasha Line, Subtle Bubbles, Jay Baker, Tim Swine, John Sanchez, Burger Master, Burger King. Love having both of those. Probably no relation. And Burrito No Rito. Don't know if I already read that one, but the handwriting's a little rough. Thank you, everybody. I'll see you next episode.